welcome to the Rise Up Podcast, the podcast all about empowering women's careers, hosted by me, Susan Dwyer. Each week, I share insights with you from women with different backgrounds, experiences, and learnings. We discuss career-defining moments that led them to where they are today, giving you a unique insight into what actually goes on behind the scenes. Get ready for some candid conversations about leadership, entrepreneurship, failure, confidence, and more. This week, I am so excited to be joined by the podcast queen herself, Cassie Delaney. Cassie is the founder and CEO of Outcaster, and I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Cassie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. I feel like we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, we do, for sure. Okay, so I'm going to dive straight into it. And if you're okay with me starting here, I would like you to kind of take us back um, to your earlier days. And I suppose from the outset, you're obviously someone who's very creative. And I'd love to know about maybe some early influences or I suppose how, how this cultivated over the years. Yeah, for sure. Like I think um, growing up, I was definitely lent more into like the creative subjects in school so like English and art and things like that always loved that and I think you know like school can be so binary that like if you're good at art you're just going to be a creative person they never kind of mix yeah. in the other stuff so you're kind of on this track for um for a couple of years and then when it came to going to college I had always loved English and writing and things like that and without sort of an understanding of what career that would lead to mm-hmm. I studied and um, I initially studied English in UCD and then I went over to DIT and studied journalism. And I think it was when I was in college the first year, I was like, okay, I love this. I love writing, but like, there's no guidance here as to what this is going to be career wise. Mm. And journalism seemed like a tangible job at the end. Of as it. in, it was like too broad that you were like, I don't know where to go. From yeah, here. I was just, I was a bit lost. And mm. like, I definitely am someone who needs like, a plan or like a strategy so I was like, okay I'll go and study journalism and then I can go there's loads of different things I can work in I can work in a newsroom I can work in tv production I can work in whatever is kind of associated with that um so I loved that and when I came out of college then I ended up kind of getting more involved in um tech a little bit I did like a, a course after college in digital entrepreneurship and design thinking and that kind of stuff so always loved that understanding that base understanding of tech my dad is a developer so like that was always something he was super interested in so just really like had a great appreciation for tech and the systems that were in place behind the websites that I was writing for and things like that um so my first kind of major big job I suppose after college I went and I worked for Image Media um, and then I went and I worked for Maximum Media and Her.ie and very quickly became the deputy editor of Her.ie and was there for like a good few years Um, and it was during that time that I saw the kind of change in how people were consuming media so in the early days it was that kind of online journalism Mm-hmm. you know people were clicking through off Facebook reading articles and by the time I was coming to my end of working in Maximum Media I realized that like podcasts and video were the way forward so focused my skills and that kind of thing um which I loved I loved the production I loved the behind the scenes what creating. was it about that that you love so much or? I think it's like um it's kind of like a jigsaw that like you can how you distill the information and how 
you take like an hour long interview and piece it together visually is as important as the content sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved the challenge of like making sure that something was as compelling to watch as it as the content was gotcha. that if you're interviewing someone or you're even interviewing someone on a podcast that the sound quality the vibe you create when someone is sitting down with you is so so important to get the best information out of people um, and I just loved the kind of yeah like the challenge the the evolution of it like the, the it's limitless what you can do with video and podcasting mm-hmm. and I just love that kind of fast pace of that industry where everything changes very very quickly and you can constantly learn new skills or cameras upgrading or equipment is upgrading and you can um, create like really really high quality stuff as a one person team or a two person team and I just think that's very exciting. And so when you started off working for the likes of Image, Her.ie, was that intentional that you were going for these kind of female um platforms not necessarily no like it's where the jobs were for female journalists and where the jobs were for female content creators it was very like easy entry into that kind of world like I did originally when I studied journalism I was like I want to be a foreign correspondent and then I was writing about like you know women with two vaginas and I was like (laughs) this is a far cry from where I wanted to be but um I, I suppose I just I really enjoyed the uh, community in those kind of places as well like the teams mm-hmm. were great I loved the people I worked with and um, I just like I loved creating content that people were reading and myself uh, Megan Casty, who is now my Outcaster co-founder we worked together in her.ie and we very quickly like we always knew what the product was by understanding the product and what it was there to do, we're able to introduce other things. Like we had huge campaigns for repeal the eighth. We had huge campaigns for the marriage referendum. And our whole theory was that give people what they know and what they like, and then introduce something. So give okay. them five things that you know they're going to read. Give them the Zara articles, give them the Kate Middletons, and then you introduce an opinion piece on repeal the eighth. And that's how you can make a huge difference and reach people. Okay. As opposed to writing for, you know, the times or you know the the larger broadsheet papers like our audience and the people we wanted to talk to and people like me were reading her.ie we just wanted to introduce more serious topics which we were able to do by embracing the tone and understanding what the product was and when you're talking about these kind of lighter subjects and then you introduce something you know topics like you just discussed is it perceived like because the community is there then is it perceived well or are they like well this yeah is a bit absolutely or? like it no it really is the thing was like we were addressing political issues that had great impact on the people who were say reading her.ie but the way that it was being talked about in the zeitgeist at the time or in the mainstream media wasn't necessarily in their tone or in the way that they would be interested in consuming it so by being able to like I said, just embrace the tone of what we were working with and then introduce the idea. And And I think I think a lot of the time the kind of skill in journalism is in distilling information in a way that makes it comprehensible to an audience. Yeah. It's taking something very complicated and making it resonate with the people who are already on the platform or already engaged in that product. Um, so we we were able to do that. Like we did some very... 
uh, like we we broke down kind of what the Eighth Amendment was, like what what people could do to vote, how to get very involved. simple, easy, very very simple ways. terms, and then gradually built up to more complicated um, ideas and more uh, more I suppose thought provoking opinion pieces and things like that, and more nuanced look at like that kind of what repealing the eighth amendment might look like it's so true because you can read these things through certain publications and it can be very overcomplicated, yeah and made very hard to understand whereas you know i as a consumer of media appreciate when it's kind of broken down in really simple terms yeah i think there's a lot of gatekeeping in media that is like yeah. really like highbrow media and lowbrow where like the highbrow media types like pride themselves on being complicated and being you know quite um being very articulate but like using very complex language and in a way that's kind of showy offy like a typical broadsheet papers do have a kind of reputation of being overly complex yeah. and having you know very flowery language and all that kind of stuff in a way that's alienate, alienating to a lot of people yeah. so um I don't think there's any like I, I think that like embracing an easier tone, a simpler message and making it resonate with an audience is a lot more impactful as a journalist than using your space or your platform to like air your own thoughts yeah. and opinions in a very complex way. That makes a lot of sense. And so you're in the world of media, you're obviously super passionate about it and then you make a pivot into the tech world. Mm-hmm. What was that all about? Money. <laughs> like, yeah, like it was it was a money decision uh, and also a new challenge. So like I loved the tech scene. I loved the... I had loved, you had any exposure to it pre-entering? Yeah, so like I, I knew a lot of entrepreneurs dad, and I knew a lot of people who were kind of working in the startup space. I had been to this conference um, called One Young World and met a lot of like Irish entrepreneurs and young people who were trying to either get social enterprises or enterprises off the ground and I was fascinated by it and also I loved this idea that like you can solve a problem with tech like there's very few things that you can't make better mm-hmm. with tech when it's done properly um and so there was this company that I was reading a lot about Jobio I knew a lot of people who had gone to work in it it was a very young company they had just raised a series a and it was really really exciting and I applied for a job that was like like a content editor role went in to chat to them kind of assess what they needed and we came up with this sort of other hybrid role that was about audience acquisition building out a blog building out a platform for them and basically it was like the early days of content marketing when I was saying look we get hundreds of thousands of people on a website every day Mm -hmm. I know how to get people to click onto articles and now I know how to get people to click onto a blog that's relevant to you and then to use your product um and I loved it. I like, I absolutely loved working for Jobby. It was absolutely brilliant. It's like, I joke with Stephen Quinn, the CEO all the time, that it is, it was a finishing school for entrepreneurs because from Jobio, um, like Robbie Pierce, Jack Pierce's brother worked yeah, I feel there. I like a lot of people have Yeah, so he's names. gone into Wayflyer. Um, you have Dave Kelleher, I know you know, who's one of the founders of Outmen. They've just raised 1.5 million. Um, you know, Outcasters really a spin out of that. And we worked with the Jobio tech team initially to get the kind of the foundations of the tech there. Um, like everybody I worked with in there is either working for other startups or has started another startup. NoCo, which is like a, um, a kind of office, uh, hybrid office situation where you can rent offices from in 
sort of more regional areas is Mm -hmm. there as well so like it was obviously a very entrepreneurial environment and you probably had to be entrepreneurial to thrive in that yeah definitely like it was a tough place to be and um I think that it was it was a very very fast-paced work environment and if you were entrepreneurial and you embraced that you did really really well there but like the stress wasn't for a lot of people like (laughs) it was yeah it was stressful we were in like it's a, very much a startup. There was change of direction all the time, which when you kind of got and grasped and understand that that's the nature of startups. But if you're someone who wanted your steady nine to five, it's not going to work. No. Yeah. Like in startups in general, I don't think work for the people who want yeah, their steady nine to five. Everyone. Yeah. And so talk to us then, take us back to the on, to the beginning of your own entrepreneurial journey. Was that straight after Jobia then? Yeah. So it was kind of... Um, since I had le- when I left Maximum Media I was doing a little bit of freelance work writing and producing for other clients and other people that I had worked for over the years and towards um, I suppose my third year in Jobio I had started my own podcast with Megan who I used to work with now my founder my co-founder and um, that was doing really well that had been sponsored by Coca-Cola and picked up by Love in Dublin. So it was kind of on that platform there. And then other brands had started reaching out about podcasts and production and things. And there weren't that many people in Dublin at the time doing podcast production as a service. Okay. So um, you were kind of either going to, people were either asking me or going to Headstuff. And because I had that editorial experience of not just like producing with the work, but actually sitting down with someone and designing a program, I ended up, getting kind of more and more freelance work so I went and I spoke to Stephen and said look I am I'm getting a lot of work here I really like what I'm doing with Jobio but ultimately I do have that kind of drive to go out and do something myself Mm -hmm. so he was great and let me go down to part-time for kind of like six months as I built up my tall tales client base and it was great that you had that kind of cushion behind oh, was, you while you can go and take risks and like, yeah it was brilliant like I say to people all the time like you have to have a plan like when you go out on your own if you go freelance or you go as a like you're setting up a business you definitely need a plan because you will run out of money like you very, mean a very, financial plan yeah like, 100%, you yourself? Yeah, yeah like they, people kind of advise me you need like three months of bills in the bank and I was like oh, I yeah, would that's say fine. more I would say 100 more because like it's you can burn through cash pretty quickly yeah and I remember like the about six weeks after I had started I needed a root canal and I was like fuck like something will always happen um and it's that fear of running out of money that will push you back into full-time employment if you don't have a plan what would you advise to anyone then who has an idea and is thinking of going out by themselves and who may be in like a corporate job at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think def- if it's a tech idea, definitely look at the supports out there. There are loads of supports for tech. Like you've got the NDRC, the pre-accelerator, the accelerator, the new Enterprise Ireland um, pre-seed fund, which is like mm-hmm. 100k. Uh, you've got angels and you've got your local enterprise office as well. So like your LEO is like your first stop where they'll advise you on your, I think it's like you get two and a half grand for a research grant. Mm-hmm. You can get... Um, if you kind of like have a different iteration of an idea and you get something online, you can get funds to build out a proper website. Yeah. All that kind of stuff is there. Now it takes a bit of trawling through. The best thing to do is just go into your local enterprise office and, and speak, speak to speak someone, to someone yeah. or call Enterprise Ireland and say what's available and what are the triggers that I need mm-hmm. to access to this qualify. fund. Yeah. Um, 
and then kind of go from there and start doing a, do as much as you can in your spare time do the weekends do whatever you can while you have that safety net and then you can make that jump when it's a little bit more stable if it's something like production or like a cottage core kind of industry build start up your freelancing maybe yeah start freelancing or building up your client base in the background mm. for a couple of months before you make the full leap but never just switch one off and switch one on because yeah, it yeah, just yeah. does it's not too, work yeah, like that it's not sustainable yeah and I've seen so many different entrepreneurs not not fail but like not work because of the financial pressure of it because they're real back in then after yeah yeah you do like the fear kicks in you're like how am I going to pay my rent mm. how am I going to afford this what am I going to do if I need a root canal and also when you sit down as a freelancer or as like a person an entrepreneur and you think like oh I'm earning you know like four grand this month you're like oh that's brilliant like I've made four thousand euro this month and then the next but then you're like okay that's actually 48,000 euro for the year when I pay my taxes that's like you know to earn to take home four grand a month you've to pay you've to earn like eight do you know when you sit down and realize that you're like why would anybody leave a job (laughs) (laughs) and so talk to us about you have a number of ventures so you have tall tales yeah you have rogue but your most recent venture i'm curious about tell us about outcaster and the mission behind it and how it's all going yeah so um my first is tall tales and that is podcast production video podcast production it's content creation and we work with a number of different kind of smes independent creators small businesses we've done the work with big brands but like the core of the business is working with small independent generally female business owners to figure out their message help them create really strong content and put it out there and build audiences and it's like a culmination of kind of all the work I've done in my life to be able to do that well with people Mm -hmm. um but we work with a number of independent journalists and content creators who might come with a really really good idea and initially when we started Tall Tales I kind of had this very naive view that like if you make great programs Coca-Cola or Jameson or someone will hear it and they'll want to sponsor it and that is just not how it works like yes they inquire but like the months and the hours you waste chasing those big deals boil like they boil down to very very little at the end of it all so um when we were working with those type of people during during the first lockdown all of those brand deals that we had been working on went away like they just like in one week I think there was like a hundred and thirty thousand euro wiped out which was like our say our like our kind of runway for the entire year of different campaigns that we were going to be working on like we were doing stuff with festivals we were doing stuff with big drinks brands we were doing stuff with other independent media houses and as soon as lockdown hit festivals were cancelled that we were doing like these experiential walking tour podcasts they were all cancelled because people had to be inside Mm -hmm. and just like everything we had lined up for the next year was gone and uh I realized that like there had to be a way to monetize content better, like in a more sustainable way. We had one podcast, The Creep Dive, that started doing loads of live Zooms and we started seeing like a real audience build on Patreon. But the issue with Patreon was that it was totally unbranded. Like we were at the peril of what they were doing. The fees were really high and we weren't getting great feedback from our audience on using the system. Okay. And we felt a little bit limited by it. Um, I'd also invested a lot in like our own website and different things. And I was like, there has to be a way for me to just like take payment for people listening to this podcast 
on my own website in the own like in an own branded environment and I can host everything myself where you can kind of control yeah and where I can control the relationship with the audience and where I feel like I can build it out and like add things on as I need it okay so I started looking around for a system and wasn't satisfied with anything I could find then I spoke to a development team about the sort of cost of building out something myself oh and one of the things was that it had to be like a really good mobile experience I was like everyone is consuming media on their phones okay and that was one of the other things about like a system like Patreon was that it wasn't particularly mobile friendly which is crazy to think because yeah so I wanted something that was like mobile first own branded and that people would like literally download and get a push notification and be like the creep dive has released a new episode and also that you could like thumbprint away your money that it was like super super simple to make a payment and super simple to cancel a payment if you didn't want to continue so um I spoke to a development team about building out initially it was just a tall tales branded app and it was just going to be for us and all our shows specifically for podcasts yeah for podcasts other we, were doing some, we were doing some video oh, videos so. well. okay yeah but like very mostly podcasts and video stuff and um I spoke to them got the cost of it and was like oh dear Jesus like there is no way I can afford to do this on my oh, own really? like there's just no way to make this, this was to build the actual app yeah like we were we were like in six figures like I was like there's no way and then also like the maintenance that would be required to have them involved all the time so I um I thought about it then and I spoke to a couple of people that I knew and that I was working with and they were like god I would also like something like that and then I was like well maybe I should be building a system that allows people to build those apps instead like if I'm going to spend all this money invest all this time in it it should be something that is scale like is a as te- a proper tech company and not just like a tech enabled content company, which was what it would have been if it was just the tall tales. Okay, app, gotcha. Where our product would have always been content, but I wanted it to. I wanted to a kind platform of pivot. for yeah. content creators. Exactly. So I um kind of rehashed the idea. Uh, originally, it was called broadcast or broadcaster. Couldn't get any of the domains, so then literally one day I was like in my kitchen, and I was like, "That's well, the need- worst when you come up with an amazing name." And, and you, you were like, up, and like one million dollars yeah. to buy this I domain." Remember <laughs> contacting someone who's like a hundred grand just for the domain. I was like, "No, I can't." So I had to come up with a word that was like I could just easily buy the domains for nine euro, whatever they were supposed to be. That they weren't going to be these ones that were bought up by, um by different people to yeah. sell on so, which is some people's full-on business yeah I have learned from experience I, I always think like if I go back in time and know what I know now like into, I know I would have just bought a I remember of- looking up rise up and it was like some guy trying to sell to me for like 50 grand and then I got advice for some from someone they're like just play around with it it was like put why don't you put join rise up put the word join in front of rise up and then dot com yeah which worked yeah and that was free <laughs> yeah and I like that's exactly that the exact same reason why outcaster is called outcaster and not broadcast or broadcaster I can't even remember but I was just literally like chopping oh, so it's broad, that's the theme behind it okay good. yeah so like that's originally what it was called and um 
I suppose the, the whole idea was that like it was a platform to support people who weren't supported by mainstream media. So the independent content creators who weren't getting brand deals, who weren't in that top 1% who were getting the Spotify deals, who like... Who are the top 1% as in like... The Joe Rogans, oh, Call right, Her okay, Daddy, okay, okay, like okay, those okay. kind of people who are paid big bucks by Spotify oh, to gotcha, join the platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, because there's so many content creators out there who have huge audiences, they're just not at that level. But those audiences aren't interesting to big brands who just want to be in the top podcasts, but they are interesting to, you know, people who are willing to pay for content. And those th- those audiences can be monetized in a very healthy, sustainable way for those content creators. So the whole idea of them being the outsiders and us trying to be the kind of the broadcast system is kind of where Outcaster came from. Okay. Plus the cheap domains. So, um, so say for me as like a new podcast host, if I want, would I be like a, or how would it work? So when you um, sign up to Outcaster, essentially it's, it's now a content marketplace and a hosting platform. So what it, what you do when you sign up, it's very similar to building like a Squarespace website or a Shopify website. You build your branded website um you get your domain and then you can host all your content there so it's like content um neutral so you can have podcasts videos live shows editorial content like we've got amazing blog functionality that is you know top tier kind of publishing functionality and so it will build a branded site for you okay. and it's a progressive mobile app so when your audience clicks on they get a prompt being like you can save this app to your phone And the reason we did that was because in iteration one, about 18 months ago, uh, we originally built a system that was publishing native apps, which means it was creating apps that were going to, that had to be downloaded from the app stores. And we're like, this is great. This is what people would do. You direct, you know, your audience to the app store, download Mm -hmm. the Rise Up app. But what was happening was any payments that were made there for content were subject to the 30% charge from the app stores. We're like, that's crazy. Like the Apple tax, the you know the android tax on it is going to cripple us and it meant that like you know we were taking a fee the app stores were taking a huge fee so the, the content creator was coming out with, with very little 60 percent okay. you know or mm-hmm. you know even worse like depending on the size of the payment so um we again looked at the system and with our cto nile um looked at a way to like circumnavigate the app stores like how could we get around this how could we build apps and there's this kind of progressive web apps are not necessarily new but they're still sort of emerging in that like Spotify, Pinterest and a couple of the big other brands are actually progressive web apps so that you can make you can make a payment in the app without being subject to the app fees and you never have to go to the app store to download the um to download the app which is great so all that's to say is that it will build you a progressive web app and a website. So you got this lovely functioning kind of um, essentially a streaming platform. Like anyone could go on and build their own Netflix or build their own Disney Plus. And then the kind of additional benefit to using Outcaster to be your system is that we now have a content marketplace. So your podcast will be pushed onto the Outcaster homepage and you're now promoted next to other podcasts all these other okay yeah that already have audiences so it's great then for your distribution and your audience growth so essentially we were trying to create a holistic system that would help creators from like 
the minute they publish to growing audiences to taking payment to sustaining a living and the whole mission behind outcasters is is helping content creators sustain make a living living. yeah okay i love that and so where's the business at right now um you have done you've done some fundraising or tell us where you are in that kind of growth journey so it has been like a long and winding road. Um, we've done some fundraising. We've raised uh, 125,000. We've um, how did you do that through the NDRC accelerator, which is brilliant, and then through private angels okay. as well. And then there's also been investment from the team. So in total, we've it's probably closer to 200,000 euro has gone into Outcaster. Um, so and can far. I ask just on the on the subject of fundraising? And you're you're continuing on that yeah. path. How how have you found it? Particularly as like we all know the stats, the depressing stats, like two point eight percent of VC funding goes to female led companies, female entrepreneurs. Have you found that a challenge trying to raise yeah. money? Yeah. You have. Yeah, it's really, really hard. Like we get so far down the line, the expectation on female founders is completely different. We were in meetings where we were being asked for detailed financial forecasts for the next five years and they the guys weren't like it's funny because I'm done some research on and like the questions asked are actually different yeah like our male founders are more likely to be asked about like potential gains and hopes whereas women can be asked about to explain losses or more around kind of related to safety yeah like we were we were we've been asked very detailed questions about things that aren't necessary at this stage Mm -hmm. you know like we were talking about say our acquisition strategy for three years time and when you're fundraising you're fundraising for an 18 month period really like you're specifying that you need this amount of money to get to this stage and that the money at especially like the pre-seed and seed stage is to help you prove your hypothesis like Mm -hmm. it's to help you show that this is something that could work for us we had done a lot of that work pre-accelerator and pre-fundraising where we had invested a lot of money in like an MVP model worked with people um to test out some of our theories and proven that they worked and we were having incredible results like for one podcast I know it's only one so it's not statistically significant but I would mention this on calls that like for one podcast we converted 67% of the audience from free listener to paid subscriber and they were just like no don't believe that and I was like it's a really high statistic which is why I don't lean on it and include it as Mm -hmm. like a general plan going forward or something that I'm promising we can do for everyone but I'm just saying it's cool that we did do that Mm. and it can like you get heads shaking or like I don't believe it or we'll get you know really unnecessarily complicated questions like to explain how an RSS feed works and I'm like we're not myself and Megan Okay, I know how that works and like I can but we're not the tech team like you don't have to yeah test us on our knowledge like as as the leader of the company I just need to be able to prove that I can put in a strategy that I know this market well enough that I know that this product is going to work and that I can hire the right people to make to fulfill that vision and I can hit all the targets mm-hmm. and it never mattered what we hit the goalposts would move we would get to like a certain revenue figure and they would like talk to us when we get here or whatever like it's been a funny one because I I think a lot of it is to do with the changing market but a lot of it is to do with being a female entrepreneur as well and do you think on the flip side of that 
and comparing yourself to your male counterparts maybe that you met in in as part of the NDRC did you find that you were asking for less money or because um, what I've noticed is that well first of all male founders tend to ask for more money and they tend to like over promise promise you the world yeah. whereas women will tend to raise re- or le- raise less and not not like undersell themselves but share more realistic um returns yeah and Re- they'll over over deliver essentially yeah, this is something that that came up quite a bit was that like vcs seem to get excited when someone walks into the room and says we're going to change the world yeah and has these have these crazy projections for billions and billions on the balance sheet and yeah female entrepreneurs are a lot more conservative and we're saying you give us this you plug it into this and have built out like we had built out these models where you could change the figures and it would show you the projections where you could say oh if we get 320 customers it looks like this but if we get 600 it looks like this Mm. and it was all it was updating our entire balance sheets like it was an incredible amount of work that we had put into it and um you know it was a it was to be able to create that realistic projection and we were saying that like this is where we know we can get to because our cost of acquisition for one user is this and this and this and this and it was very tangible it was very proven it was based on the work that we had put in and the testing we had already done and the money we'd already spent to figure it out whereas yeah men seem to go into the room and say we're going to be a hundred billion dollar business in three years and it works in their favor it works in their favor whereas if I walk into a room and I say I'm going to, this is, this is a $10 billion company in 10 years. They're like, show me every step of the way of how you get there. Mm-hmm. And even when we do, they can be like, that's not that exciting. Yeah. You know? And I think personally, I think the problem actually stems from like male VCs are less likely to invest in female founders, essentially. So I think in order to actually change these statistics, we need more women making these decisions who are releasing the, the funds. Because yeah. you ever have you ever heard about the term? Um, I think it's is a pattern matching. Basically, when investors invest money in in things that they have worked in the past for them. So, yeah. say for example, one of the main investors in Y Combinator. I can't remember what his name was. But there was a guy who pitched for funding and he looked exactly like Mark Zuckerberg. And in his head, he was like, this is a no brainer. Like this guy is going to make us a lot of money. And it turned out to be a terrible investment. Uh, But his thing was like, I can't, you know, I can't believe or I'm so easily tricked by because I'm so used to seeing these. So it's kind of like, how do we create these new patterns so that if a black woman walks into the room you know that there's that instinct yeah and I think that's the problem with like the VC world is that there's so much power held by the independent associates and partners and principals in the funds where it's all about like their gut feeling or their connection that they make with people and it is a lot harder as a woman to walk into the room and have an instant connection with Mm. you know a middle-aged male who's in a suit when like we're definitely coming from a totally different background and to kind of instill that confidence in them that we're able to do this I think there's like a lot of because I've been researching a lot about like what creates that that gender gap in fundraising 
it is a lot of unconscious bias that idea that like you instantly connect with people who look like you mm-hmm. and then they're going to be easy to work with and it's not malicious it's no just it's just like, it's just there it's just there all ingrained. the time that idea of pattern matching um and then just they they don't invest they'll say something like oh i just it doesn't feel right or it's off oh my god and it's like it's just because you haven't made this investment before. before yeah and then i do think that like you know we're all obviously like bet into elizabeth holmes and like all those kind of stories but when you mm. think of like the big cons of the last five six years or the ones that have made it into the mainstream the elizabeth holmes the anna delvies and even like um you know the the we work saga so much of that why things have gone wrong have been they've placed female entrepreneurs at like I'm not saying that Elizabeth Holmes and Anna Delvey are good female entrepreneurs but like they've made an example of female entrepreneurs when you think about the amount of examples yeah and it's like (laughs) is is Sam Sam Blackman Freed going to get the same treatment as you know Elizabeth Holmes has over the you know in the mainstream like are there going to be podcasts about him? Is there going to be a Netflix show about him? Is there going to be a Disney Plus show about him? Probably not. Mm-hmm. And what he has done is just as fraudulent as what Elizabeth Holmes did. Um, and I think that there are these kind of like, even though I don't think VCs are consciously looking at female entrepreneurs and being like, she might be the next Elizabeth yeah, yeah, Holmes. Yeah. But there is something there, you know, in the background. And I daren't wear a fucking black turtleneck to a meeting. Like I know, I know. Um, and I do think, like, I, did you see in the paper this week, like, there, there is progress being made. It's just too slow, in my opinion. But the new, there's a new 150 million fund coming out from ISIF, which yeah. is just going to be given to female-led firms. And I think something like yeah. that will make a massive there's difference. There's very few female firms in Ireland, though. Like, that's the thing. It's going to take another yeah. five to seven years before I think that comes into effect. Because we need to, there's very few female partners in VC funds in Ireland and to have a full female a full female fund in Ireland is going to take a lot of a lot of effort to put that together Mm. but it's interesting because like I've heard people speak about the tech ecosystem in Ireland and how it got started and how it needs to happen and how we support indigenous businesses and they say things like you have to just pump the first you have to pump money into it you have to release the funds and put money into it just to get the machine working just to get it going and like it's the same with female entrepreneurship like funds should immediately be committing 20% of their funds to female entrepreneurship even if the businesses aren't going to work because we need to create enough like enough buzz around it enough visibility around it enough opportunities around it and like just there's nothing to say that they won't work but like we have to just deep Jump in and just put the I'm money with you, in there. I'm with you. And now that you're part of this tech ecosystem, like, have you, did you find it intimidating? Like, did you feel a sense of belonging? You know, Brene Brown talks about this a lot, the idea of fitting in, ver- trying to fit in versus that sense of belonging. Like, have you felt that inclusiveness or sometimes do you feel like oh I don't know if I belong here um there's definitely yeah there's like it's a bit of both like there's definitely times where I felt a little bit like oh my god what am I doing here the imposter syndrome kicks Mm. in you're like there's obviously a secret startup school that everybody else has been to (laughs) that I don't know about because they're talking in a language that I don't understand um I think a lot of that came from that, like the tech world is kind of inaccessible anyway, in the in its terms and in the language that is used. And it can be very culty. I feel so culty. It's like whoa. Yeah. So once you kind of get in, 
once you get past that and do a lot of like the independent learning and figuring out I think it definitely becomes a little bit easier and then I've made great friends in it and great supports in it I think that like the NDRC has definitely helped like they really endeavor to have parity between um male founder businesses and female founder businesses so it's about like when I did the accelerator there was three out of 11 businesses were female founded which was great I think in the other accelerators it's kind of one in six two and six um but in the pre-accelerator program it was like 44 percent or 45 percent which was brilliant like Riley were in the pre-accelerator with me as well um that was in Republic of Work was it so it's like um yeah so they run them with the different regional hubs so Republic of Work and Porter Shed the NDRC Dogpatch in Dublin um so there yeah there was there was like 20 businesses I think in the pre-accelerator okay um and there was like a lot of female founded businesses there which was brilliant and then there are other like there are great I'm not gonna say allies because men shouldn't be allies for women but like there are great um people who are aware of unconscious bias who go the extra mile the likes of Gary Fox from the entrepreneur experiment is brilliant to introduce people um another uh mark from 150 bond is great to like send out introductions as well and there are a lot of people who are making a real effort to include female entrepreneurs in other sort of like ecosystem events and things like that because like the reality is it does take a network of 100 it's who you know like like especially even aside from being an entrepreneur it takes a network but even to grow your own career yeah like it you do need that support from other people so who who in general do you tend to lean on to get mentorship or seek advice you know outside of your own team um or what what kind of support systems do you have yeah so other business owners really I find like the kind of my ex-boss Stephen Quinn from Jobio has been brilliant um just in that he's a young person who's been through it and has been uh you know has been really really great in terms of advice and I've seen his journey as well so I kind of can relate where I am to where he was when I worked with him um although I have not raised 10 million um <laughs> yet but the, and then like the kind of mentors I met formally through the NGRC and then other incredible business owners who've reached out through um different I suppose speaking on different things and things like that like uh, Sharon Keegan from Peachy Lean Fiona Carroll they're brilliant uh anybody who'll talk to me basically like <laughs> and do you find it easy because within the Rise Up Network like we talk a lot about these different things but I think women traditionally and not to stereotype find it difficult sometimes to ask for help oh yeah you know, do you have any advice for any, not not just entrepreneurs, but women in general in terms of like asking for help and getting that support? Yeah, I think it's definitely something that I have struggled with over the years because I think when you ask for help and you don't get it or it doesn't work out in the way that you want or it's just hard to ask for help because you we perceive it as a sign of weakness that so we can't yeah. do everything um, or if it's not there it can be very demoralizing but I think that um I just become very specific with what I need so I'll look to my network and say look I do need help can you point me in the direction of an angel who might be able to invest 25k I need help here I need help to get to this person and like the thing about when you come to fundraising like you really really need to get help because it is such a closed Mm -hmm. network like if you're cold emailing you won't get responses so you have to do the LinkedIn stalking thing and say 
you know, you're connected to this person. Could you give me a warm introduction? Could I talk to them? Here's what I want to say to them. Um, and would you open up your network in that way? Or or just, I need help figuring this part out because it just becomes so overwhelming. And the reality is, and what I've learned is that people... 99% of the time are usually delighted to help yeah like it makes them feel good absolutely I and mean, you think if someone asked you for help what like you like you'd, you'd bend over backwards like yeah. to help someone like I would do whatever it took to if I if something was within my wheelhouse or within my remit like I'd absolutely sit down with someone mm. and, and give them like an hour or two of your of your time to to help someone along their journey a little bit more or make it a little bit easier because like the things that stress you out and the things that you get really stuck on are generally very very easy to somebody else and somebody like somebody else has gone through it and come out the other side yeah and sometimes you just need that like it's okay yeah 100 percent. and so on this journey entrepreneurial founder journey you know there's lots of highs there's lots of lows and what would you say is the biggest challenge you've faced since I guess starting to work for yourself um like discipline is hard and the guilt like it's so it's definitely like it's definitely the mental struggle of it all do you know Mm. like there's such a safety in being employed that like you turn up for work every day you do your job you leave it there you go home when you work for yourself like there is no switching off like there's no one day where you're not going to feel guilty about not doing something and that like that takes a lot of work to rewire in your brain that like Mm. you shouldn't like you should not feel guilty for not working for a day or being sick or taking a holiday um and then like I suppose all that feeds into like imposter syndrome and things where like yeah definitely just like the mental struggle and like trying to overcome that and be like I am capable of doing this I am on the right path even when things go wrong Every day is progress and I just have to keep going. And do you have any tips on how how you manage that? Um, so I've done a lot of CBT therapy, which is great. Um, it's kind of like catching bad thoughts and like reframing them, okay, nice. which is like really like a really tangible thing. Definitely like I'm not great for it at the moment, but like I heard somebody say like the thing about entrepreneurship is like you break that structure of like the nine to five and the linear work day. Mm. And you have to remember that like we're we're so bet into that nine to five that like we think that like all progress and everything has to happen within 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 those time frames. But when you're an entrepreneur taking an hour out and going to the gym and looking after yourself or taking a rest is more valuable than just powering through Mm. because like your mind and your ability to come up with a strategy is the important thing and sometimes doing nothing is the most productive thing that you can do that's where the ideas come from Mm. like that's where like it's when you're chopping vegetables or when you're sitting about to fall asleep that you come up with the ideas where you're not going to come up like with a good idea by sitting in an office for seven hours all day yeah Yeah. bad ideas happen in boardrooms like you know you're not going to come up with something if you force yourself to do it so I think overcoming that like self-doubt and the mental like the the mental toll that running a business takes on you Mm. is just looking after yourself and like one of the most beneficial things that I did during the kind of um during the the busy times of Outcaster and when I really need to focus is I give up drink entirely and that has a really really good impact on like my overall mental health and focus and sleep and things so I find that I haven't really been drinking lately and I'm just like 
I'm so much more honest consistently. Yeah. That it's great. Another thing that I'd say that I found since kind of working for myself is, you know, when you work for someone else and you have like weekly reviews or monthly reviews where they go through what you've done well, your progress, your achievements, you don't have that when you work for yourself. And so I find that it's very easy to forget about the achievements that you're making unless you make a conscious effort to acknowledge them and not just acknowledge them but celebrate them and tell other people about them and so what I've done is um I've created a little folder and it's actually on my phone because sometimes I do feel like an imposter and I'm not making any progress and what am I doing I'm gonna give up yada 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 and actually every time like I get good feedback or I'm in the press or something goes well, I get a good email. I just screenshot it and I put it into this folder. And so on the days where I do feel like shit and I feel like giving up, I just look at the folder and it actually reminds me that like, no, you are making progress. Even if it's slow, even if, you know, there is tangible things that are happening, which I think is important because it's so easy to forget about those milestones. Or you move the goalposts because you get to... You know, you're like you're constantly wanting to grow, I guess, and you constantly want to improve. That's the idea of like running a business is like, what's it going to look like in three years time? Yeah, that like you need to stop and like really like be present and be like, okay, I'm in the situation I wanted to be in two years ago. Yeah, like I'm here now. Exactly. Let's enjoy this for a moment. Like, and I definitely had that recently where I kind of had to start of I had to kind of take a pause recently because things were becoming a little unwieldy and I felt like I was losing touch with different like different aspects and things had just kind of I just felt like mentally things had gotten way out of control and made the conscious decision to like pause reframe things move studios and like basically when things become like really unwieldy for me I just try and make things small again Mm -hmm. and like reel things in and just be like who am I working with why am I doing this what do I have to do to get the next steps? And then like I did have a moment of calm about a week ago where I was like in this room and I was like, okay, this is good. This is where I'm I want where to, I'm be. Meant to be. I'm where I'm meant to be. And now I can sort of like rebuild and like go back again because yeah, I think that like I definitely need to like have always be able to see the overall thing. And for yeah. a while things just get like, they get scattered. And I think we can all be so guilty of like, going towards that final destination whereas it's not actually about the destination it's more about the journey and because if you don't enjoy any of the journey I mean you're not going to enjoy getting to that final that's it yeah like what even is the final destination yeah and like for the first say three years of working for myself I loved getting up every day and going to work like I'd be like I can't wait to go in like I know that's really I was like I cannot wait to go into my office like I know that's a really sad thing and I'd often downplay it people like oh work but I (laughs) loved it like and I would love what I was making and then there for a few weeks I was like oh my god I don't want to do it and I was like okay there's something wrong like yeah if I'm not looking forward something needs to change and now again I'm like oh I can't wait to go in so what drives you kind of on a day-to-day basis like what gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, I think the larger, like, de- like first of all, the, the daily enjoyment, like working with content creators is so much fun. Like, mm. you know, I'm in work right now and we're chatting. So like, that's, that's a lot of fun. Um, but the wider vision as well, do you know, like, especially with Outcaster where progress can kind of seem slow or becomes like, there's definitely moments where I'm like, so much 
money has gone into this business and what if it doesn't work and I get really stressed and I'm like Mm -hmm. no I just have to keep going because I can see myself at the end of a day sitting on a couch watching very specifically there is this content creator called Bianca Giver from the states who does work for like this American life and um believer magazine and she's like an incredible videographer podcaster and writer like the triple threat she's absolutely brilliant she does not know I exist but I love her stuff and I can see her having an outcaster app and I can see me sitting down on a couch somewhere in two years time watching her content and paying for her content through Outcaster. That's really cool and I think it's actually a really powerful thing to have that like visual thing that you can see materializing. Yeah or seeing like Outcaster is the kind of thing where like Brit Marlin could make a season three of the OA. Do you know like that excitement gets me going that like all of my favorite shows could come back and I can lay on my couch someday and watch them as long as I can pay my rent between now and then I can get (laughs) a fine balance yeah and so what does success look like for you then do you think and not to ask like what's your five-year plan but you know in the over the next couple of years like what what is what does success look like yeah I think that like for me it's definitely getting back to uh like it's sustaining for me it's about sustaining a nice income through Outcaster Mm -hmm. that's something that I really want to do um it like massive success would be a good exit of that company but um I think it's like overall life success is about being uh liking what you do and liking who you are when you do it so it's about like making sure that whatever I build or whatever companies I create that the people who work for me are happy that the people who work for me are supported and that we have a good impact on the world doing what we do and your work obviously brings you a lot of joy correct what what brings you joy outside of work or what's Cassie into outside of work outside of work I am do you seem like you're pretty you would work a lot I do work yeah yeah but I mean like uh outside of work I love my dog my dog is is here with us Scouty is the love of my life (laughs) um I like I'm just very chilled like I spend time with my dog with my partner we I cook I yeah, like that's it. I uh-huh. like I'd love to say I hike at the weekends. <laughs> but I think about lying. hiking at the weekends. <laughs> I love baking, I love cooking and um yeah, I love spending time with family and it's just super chill. And I love my bike. I love cycling. Oh really? Like I not in a cool cycling. cycling, like not a like not like up. <laughs> I don't know many people who are like a cool Like I'm cyclist. not wearing like latex and oh, going I up know the mountains. Okay, like I'm okay. not like a sports cyclist. Like I have an electric bike and you're I like, like cycling. Getting into around town. from A to B. Yeah. Okay, I yeah. love that. And if you were to do it all again and start from the beginning, like a lot of people that listen to this podcast might work for companies they might have an idea they might have that ambition to one day maybe go out on their own but is there any advice or lessons learned the hard way that you would share with our audience yeah for sure I mean like tangible things like I definitely would have brought in my co-founders earlier um why how long did you do it solo before you brought those in uh so about six or seven months before before I brought Megan in and nearly a year before we brought Niall in and Niall was the Niall is the CTO so we spent a lot of money on tech that was then rebuilt so like that kind of stuff that like bring in a CTO early if it's a tech idea 
um because they'll buy into the idea you know because like i thought we had to get something going before we'd be able to get a cto but um we ended up having to rebuild a lot of the tech anyway and like yeah i mean finding finding your support systems finding the Mm -hmm. financial support systems is really really important um and speak to people don't like there is a kind of concept of give away your good ideas. Like, don't be afraid to talk to people. I think that we often think like, oh, I can't say that out loud because someone will steal the idea and run with it and then they'll start the business. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're not going, no one is going to steal your idea. And it's you that's going to make your business Exactly. Successful. And even if they do steal your idea or steal your concept, they're not going to, they're not the idea isn't necessarily the important thing. It's how you realize that vision mm. and they're not going to be able to do that the same way that you can. So, um, yeah, give away your good ideas, talk to people and you will find support networks and the right people through that kind of thing. And stuff. on that, one thing I'd add to that would be, um, obviously talk to people, get advice to, from people, but also be care, be careful of whose advice that you take. Because yeah. I remember when I first started, I was taking on all of this advice. I was probably asking too many people for advice, to be honest. But some of the people that were giving me advice had never done what I wanted to do. Yeah. And so you kind of have to take those things with a pinch of salt as well. Yeah. Yeah, you have to hold on to your vision and what you're doing. Yeah, and like go with your gut at yeah, the end of the day. There comes a point where you have to step back and say, you know what, I am the expert or not like I'm the expert but like Mm. this is my company this is my vision and I'm going to do it like this like with all the best of intentions listen to people who who know the markets and know where things are going but like do not um yeah like there's a lot of that there's everyone will have an opinion on your business so you don't have to take it all on and final question um if you say for example Acaster didn't exist or you weren't in the industry that you're in um and you could set up another business with tons of funding tons of support what would it be if I didn't set up Acaster I would either have a vintage caravan park a food truck or um if I was going to do something in tech, I would do something that was like a dating app based on what your viewing history was. That's so funny. Mine's a dating app. I've there always you go. had no, this dream next, to yeah. set up or disrupt the online slash offline dating I, space. I constantly think about this. Oh that like God. you could match Let's people. Let's have a chat about this. Yeah, that like <laughs> we could take all the outcaster data and match people based on what they consume. 100%. So like you're going to sit at the couch at the end of the day and watch things together. Here's someone who watches the exact same stuff as you watch this space people there you go (laughs) Cassie thank you so much such a joy to speak to you thank you